0: You're now listening to the sound of the most important thing that ever happened. You're now listening to the sound of Matt Damon having a mustache and yelling at you. Yeah, you're now listening to... You know what would be a good meta joke is if I just had music play through this entire podcast, like really intense music.
1: So you feel exhausted and oppressed by the end. So I
0: felt exhausted and impressed by the end, and if the music just was mixed such that you couldn't Really understand everything we were saying. That'd be a good meta joke. It'd be hilarious. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'd be high art. I tells you, I actually like this movie. So let's get that out of the way. I liked this movie, Oppenheimer. I think it's probably Chris Nolan's best movie. That's right. We're on a nickname basis. Me and Chris Nolan. I think it's maybe by far his best movie. It's just a subject that he's suited for.
2: We take a guy who really wants to do things that are ponderous and profound and you put him into the most profound, epic, horrible, horrific thing to ever actually happen in maybe in human history. And hey, maybe magic's there, or maybe it's awful. It's gonna be one or the other.
0: Yes. Those are the choices. And I think it's pretty good. I have my quibbles, and they are Nolan quibbles, the kinds of quibbles that I have with the man and with his work. I think he there are things about him that are just Lame, and things that I don't. There are ways in which there are things that I don't like about this movie that I'm like, oh well, I understand why everybody else likes it. It's just that's not my particular cup of tea. And then there's a couple things where I'm just like, I don't get it. I don't get why people like this. And I've always felt that way about Nolan. There's certain things about him that I'm just like, like his action scenes. Everybody's always like excited about them, and nope, they're just always bad. Sometimes the spectacle is cool, like the hallway fight. I guess Inception's pretty good, and But things like the Bane plane thing at the beginning of Dark Knight Rises, like, that was so advertised in sort of a Tom Cruise style as, like, it's the scene. They really flipped a plane. It's like, well, maybe they really did, but still doesn't look or feel all that cool. And Tenet was particularly like that. Anyway, folks, what we are doing is I'm going to give you a mini review of this movie. I went on vacation the week that this movie came out. I saw the movie with my lovely wife. And you guys have not seen the movie. Nope. And we actually decided we weren't going to do like a big one of our big two hour discuss- discussions about the movie. Uh, and one of the reasons we weren't going to do it is because the movie has some content, it's got some nudity. And we just thought, let's not, we don't want to oppress people with that, even if we might make the private decision to see it. But mm-hmm. then we had a friend reach out and say, hey, what do you guys think about Oppenheimer and whether Christians? Should see it, given that it's getting publicity for having Chris Nolan's first uh, nude scene, extended nude scenes, and sex scenes. It's obviously a movie that lots of people are interested in. There was lots of, like, old people at my screening, lots of not kids. I don't know. It's kind of weird, like, watching Graham and Gramps walk in and sit down next to us and knowing what was coming. I "I wonder how they're going to feel about this. Like, I know how I feel about it, and I already feel not great about it, but... Anyway, just one of those one of those thoughts that you have in our wonderful society with our wonderful mores and mores and morals. Anyway, so very quickly guys, let's discuss the question of whether a Christian should ever see Oppenheimer. I guess everybody knows what my answer to that question is, but
2: I was intending to see this movie from the moment I heard it announced for the reasons I already said. It's I think the bomb is the arguably the one of the most important things to happen. Not even arguably. It's just one of the most important things to happen in human history. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal that it was developed. It was a big deal that it happened. It's a big deal that we dropped it on two cities full of women and children. And so for Chris Nolan, Chris, we're yeah, also Our good happy, friend. Yeah, our good friend, Chris. <clears throat> for Christopher Nolan to be making a movie that has a chance to make you feel how big a deal it is man i just was here for it from the beginning i wanted to go see it
0: it feels a little bit like saving private ryan or schindler's list when schindler's they came list, out this like, you know, of- actually is a cultural event that has some mm-hmm. small importance in the world of yeah and so i want to go
2: see this movie and i want i hope he pulls it off i hope it f- helps me feel the right things the horror of it the wonder of it like i want to go feel those things the right things about this movie or about the event, about what happened, about Oppenheimer, right? about Einstein, about any number of other people involved in the process, about Truman.
0: I won't spoil it. Have you heard who plays Truman? No. I don't know whether I should spoil it or not. It's a celebrity cameo, and it's very silly.
2: Well, let's not talk about it. Okay. Anyhow, so I came home one day, and I thought we were going to have a little bit of time, and I really wanted to go see it with Amanda, and I was like, hey, Oppenheimer is going to be at IMAX. I think we've got time this afternoon. Let's go see it. And and she was like, "Have you read anything about the sex scene?" I was like, "No, I haven't." Probably on purpose. Probably I didn't want to to read too much about it or see too much about it beforehand. I knew it existed, but I just thought, well, okay. Like they thought Nolan's never done one before. He thinks he's got to throw one into a prestige film. It'll be like you know a little scene in The Godfather or something like that. But Amanda had read about it. And so she had objections to going and seeing it because it's long, it's drawn out. And spoilers, they dropped the line in the middle of it. So it's just like they make it a centerpiece of the movie in a way. It just mm. didn't have to be.
0: I will very quickly say J. Robert Oppenheimer, total horn dog. that element of his life is actually very important to the story and to the movie, and I don't begrudge that, but they did not have to portray it that way. Anyway,
2: So we ahead. had that conversation. We ended up not going and seeing it that day, but I ended up telling her, look... It sucks that they ruined the movie with that. I still want it. I still want to see it. I just want to be sure that I see it with you. You know, maybe we see it on, I'd love to see it still in theaters. You know, I'd love to see it on IMAX. And maybe we will, we just haven't had the time since we had that conversation. Maybe we'll wait until it comes out on video so that we can fast forward the scene. Mm-hmm. My thought is like, okay, it's got some, something like that. So I'm going to see it with my wife and we'll close our eyes mm-hmm. or we'll fast forward through it one way or another that's where we're at with it, and that's more or less why.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'll just, uh, just explain my thought process. As a bit of context, Is if people don't know, it's helpful to know that we come from a mother church, we're part of a denomination, and we're part of a church plant here that believes in freedom of conscience when it comes to baptism, believer's baptism. You can be a believer's Baptist, or you can be a paedo-baptist in our church, which is pretty unusual. Maybe not unusual for a decent chunk of our listeners, but unusual for lots of people and probably unusual for most of our listeners, I guess.
2: Unusual for church history. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Unusual for church history. We have in the founding pastor of our Father Church, a pastor who, Tim Bailey, who is probably the best man I've ever known in terms of just embracing what he would call the Holy Spirit-inspired ambiguities of Scripture. What Tim always says is in the places where Scripture's unclear, God wants you to live in the pressure cooker. He wants you to use your brain. He wants you to have to work it out and not just have pat answers. And so there's all kinds of things that we want to be unclear that aren't. We want to pretend like it's ambiguous whether a woman should obey her husband or whether the Bible calls women the weaker sex or whether you should discipline your kids with corporal punishment. Those things actually aren't at all ambiguous. But there are things that are more ambiguous in Scripture, and they are meant to be that way. And it's not that everybody's right and you can just have whatever opinion you want, but it is that we should have some charity and some understanding for each other in in the places where Scripture really is unclear or doesn't speak. And so, if this is a completely new concept to you, go read Romans 14, go study the Bible on meat sacrifice to idols things like that. But I would say that a movie like this actually falls under that category. There's some things that are very clear that no Christian should ever do. And one of them I would say is watch the scene. Like I do not think that Christopher Nolan should have asked Florence Pugh to do it. I don't think she should have done it. I don't think Killian Murphy should have done it. I think that was wicked, unambiguously. I don't care about anyone's arguments. And there are Christians that will make them about the difference between art and pornography, blah, 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 whatever. We all know we have a reaction to a naked body when it's presented. On the screen and you just can't get away from that and it's bad god clothed us for a reason god clothed us for reasons and he says not to uncover it for people who aren't your spouse right so that's unambiguous it is unambiguous that you should not watch this scene nobody needs to watch this scene now what's a little bit more ambiguous or what is left to your conscience I think what you need to decide in your own, what everyone must be convinced of in his own mind is how do you then deal with it? And you've got some options. Your options are don't see the movie. That's nice and clean and simple. Your options are do see the movie and close your eyes during the scene. Your options are find a way not to pay for the movie because you don't want to Support the company that would put this stuff out. Now, if that's your philosophy, you better be ready to just be done with Hollywood because I've got some news for you. They all have nude scenes and things that are very wicked in all of their movies, and you simply cherry picking like, well, I see the ones without that. You're still giving money
1: to a corporation that does lots of so things. Pr-
2: production studios, mm-hmm. the people, all kinds of people involved in the process. Right. Like you.
1: Companies. I mean, I think you would just go. That's a slippery slope. To the whole industry is totally corrupt. Right. You, which you, we agree with. Right. It is. It yeah. is.
0: It is. So then how do you live in a world where
2: Starbucks is giving your money to support transgender mutilations of kids?
0: Right. I don't like factory farmed meats, but they certainly help my family eat. Alluding to the fact that we did an episode about this a long time ago, a really early episode of Sound of Sandy. I don't know whether it's any good or not. This was years ago now. But you could go listen to us talk more about that. Just at a certain point, though, you do kind of have to say if I actually want to say that my hands are clean, like I've never given money to anybody, I'm gonna have to get a rocket ship. I'm gonna have to talk to Elon. He's gonna have to help me build a habitat on Mars. Um, And even there, I'll be there. (laughs) And the Matt Damon will be there. Um, (laughs) And he'll try and betray me. And you you know, uh, your human heart, at a certain point, you have to make your peace with living in a world of wickedness now people say does that mean we should just support everything and no i haven't been drinking budweiser i've been shopping at target like i'm actually pretty okay with these kinds of things i tend to personally be kind of pragmatic about them when it comes to oppenheimer i'm like no this movie's doing well you're not going to send a message like my little ticket is not sending a message one way or another to these people and maybe somebody will say, well, if everybody thought like you, we never get anything done. And maybe they'd be right. And I shouldn't say that in a mocking way. My point is, there's different ways you can handle this. And if somebody out there wants to say, I'm not seeing the movie, if somebody out there wants to say, I'm not supporting the studio, if somebody out there wants to say, I am seeing it and I'm not watching the scene, I think that those are all things that you need to Use your brain. Decide in your own heart, with your own conscience. Like You're the one that's going to stand before God. That's a decision for you to make. The Bible doesn't have a list of what movies we can see and what movies we can't see. There's not an index that says, nope, Oppenheimer's bad, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is good. That would be a really dumb index if it said that. It's just not that simple. And so I would say there's no reason for a Christian to ever watch nudity. But then the next step, what do you do with that practically? That's something where we need to use discernment, make decisions wisely, and have charity for each other. The things that I don't like, I haven't really liked the things I've seen where people have said, Oppenheimer is pure pornography. And if you see it, you're not a Christian. You know, I've seen those kinds of things on Twitter and stuff. And I'm just like, that's not actually helpful. That's the, you could say, the weaker brother oppressing the stronger brother or the stronger brother oppressing the weaker brother. I'm not sure which one, which way you'd want to cast it. But, One way or another, it's passing judgment that's not helpful. And I've seen the equally unhelpful sort of, it's art, it's, of course, we have to see this, like, you'd be stupid and pharisaical and reductive to ever make a decision to say no to something like this. And that's also unhelpful. What I think we need to do is not despise each other for these decisions and make them with wisdom. With grace. And even in saying that, I'm like, well, people can use that line of reasoning to smuggle in a lot of filth. And Mm I was like, yeah, yeah, they can.
1: How many movies have we seen without, you know, nudity per se, but with really scantily clad ladies where our own consciences aren't clean, not necessarily even because we watched the movie, but because we were really fixated on that woman's body. Right. We wouldn't let our daughter dress that way. We wouldn't let our wife probably go out in public dress that way. And we should have turned our eyes away. Right. At various points. The filmmakers knew exactly what they were doing. And, but it wasn't nude scene, so we have plausible deniability.
0: Yeah, it but does come on. it does feel a little cheap to me to suddenly be aghast at there's a spectrum where it will we'll go this far and then suddenly if you cross this line everybody's like, oh ah! and it's like, but how many things were you just allowing yourself before we got up to that line? We've talked about this a million times. It is The death of Christian discernment comes when we draw an arbitrary line in the sand, say, I'll watch all PG-13 movies, but I won't watch any R-rated movies. And then you think you've done your work and you think you don't have to think, and that's just not true. The only other thing I would say about this is I think it is a little bit subjective, not in the sense that God's truth is subjective, but in the sense that our personalities and our individual temptations are unique to us. And so there are people Who maybe shouldn't see Oppenheimer because their chemical reaction with it would be bad. Like they just even knowing that there's a sex scene happening over there would drive them crazy. I don't know. Maybe they think Florence Pugh is really attractive or something. I don't know. But there's individual reasons why you might make some certain decisions that don't apply to everybody else. So. I think a good thing to do is to be convinced in your own mind, not lorded other, over other people, and be wise and discerning and, and have some things that you can say no to. That being said, the movie, Oppenheimer, it was good. I'm excited to see it. It when was, I get a chance. it might be. I mean, it, so it was Ron Howard by way of, Quentin Tarantino was what I said, I think, to Jake when I was talking about it. Like, in other words, it had a very elaborate, well-thought-out way of telling the story. Like, the star of the movie, more than all the stars they cast, was the structure and the way these storylines were intertwining and building on each other. And that was cool. But the Ron Howard part of it is that the individual scenes are very Nolan'y, in that the characters are always just declaiming whatever... The point of view is that they represent. There's all these lines like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: well, Robert, history is gonna judge you this way. It's like any Nolan movie where the theme of the movie is getting repeated and verbalized in just a really kind of silly way over and, over and 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 over again. Robert Downey Jr. gives a brilliant performance. Loved seeing him play a character for the first time in 10 years. He was great. I'm sure he'll win an Oscar. He's a lot of fun. He's playing a very staunch conservative sort of boring character, but he plays the character with the wit of Robert Downey Jr. I don't know how else to describe it, like you just you enjoy watching him inhabit a different kind of man, and it's not that he's winking or anything. He's playing the part seriously, but he's just a inventive, witty man, and it's fun to watch him bring that wit and invention to a serious character. But he's cast as the villain, and It's unfair. It's reductive. It's like, this thing makes, it's constantly reducing people to their archetypes and it's constantly giving them ponderous dialogue. That is Nolan. Which is just Nolan. And so those are the things that I don't personally like, but I understand why people like them because people want the spectacle and they want the structure and they want the feeling and they want the sort of uh, of it all. And they're not looking for witty dialogue or subtlety. actual or subtlety or <laughs> yeah they're, they're not looking for subtlety <laughs> and they don't have there's no law that says they have to no
1: no certainly not. it is a movie
0: it is a movie i do think it would be a better artistic achievement i mean if i can put on raise my snobby shnery, sherry glass to my lips for a second and put on my monocle like they used to be able to do these kinds of movies and have some wit to them and some
1: you
2: know some what, dialogue it's interesting everybody loves nolan yeah. All the actors and actresses love Nolan. There's a reason why the movies filled with cameos and has a bunch of A-list actors playing bit parts and why you know everybody's like, "Well, I wouldn't have done the movie except it was Christopher Nolan who called me," right. you know. I'm retired, but if Christopher Nolan ever calls me, people say that sort of thing huh. all the time. Why is that? I think he makes
0: actors look good. I think he's actually a good actors director. I think he is actually in a weird way. He's generous with people. They loved
2: yep. the script. I don't know how many people I've seen. Huh. And I know that there's press tour stuff and oh, all sure, that yeah. sort of thing. But, you know, I don't know how many people I've seen in just little clips say, this was the best script I'd ever re- read in my life. Like it sucked me in from the very beginning. He wrote it in first person, which put me in Oppenheimer's shoes from the very beginning and made me feel things about a script that I'd never felt before like you hear that sort of thing repeated over and over and over again you probably can go and find on YouTube or wherever else smash cuts of people just talking about huh. he wrote it in first person and I've never experienced you know what I've what I experienced reading through a script that way
0: I think a couple of things. I think, number one, he is a master of structure. That is a real talent that he has, a real artistry that he has. And his movies, this one in particular, I think, are enormously absorbing and compelling for that reason alone. Like, it's just, Mm -hmm. how do you put together a biopic? You don't just go from, like, if you're a real hack, if you're actually Ron Howard, then you just go from A to Z. Well, here's Robert being born. Now, Nolan's not interested in that. He wants to find a way to tell this story, to communicate the themes in a dramatic way. He's finding a structure that really makes it pop. And that's exciting. And I'm sure it's exciting on the page. I think the other thing is he's generous with actors. He gives them good parts, not in terms of there there being psychological depth, but there's something to play. There's something. They they show off the actor's ability. like Mm -hmm. Matt Damon... I'm hiring I'm not hiring you to do anything we haven't seen you d- you do. I'm hiring you to come in and yell and kind of be the lovable. So you're playing the same character you played in Ford versus Ferrari, basically. You're playing a middle-aged dude that kind of is on Oppenheimer's case, but also in his corner. The boss with the heart of gold, the gruff exterior. Mm-hmm. But that's a fun part for Damon to play. It's certainly a lot more fun than running around as Jason Bourne or something like that. And there's just a bunch of stuff like that. You're Robert Downey Jr., I want you to give yourself a receding hairline. I want you to do something that will reflect on your 10 years as Iron Man, th- that will in some sense apologize for it, but in a, in another sense be kind of the victory lap after it. I want you to crack your knuckles and show everybody what you can do. Like rem- Remind everybody you're not just a charisma machine. You're You're an actor. actor. Kenneth Branagh, I want you to come in, do a silly accent.
2: Is he Truman? (laughs) No.
0: No. Truman is is an even, hackier choice. You will probably laugh out loud when you see who they got to play Truman. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I could give you three guesses and maybe you'd get it. Just, uh, I won't give any more hints, but it is...
1: Jason Statham, you (laughs) (laughs) rogue. You (laughs)
2: rogue.
0: It's a bad scene. It's a cartoon scene in the middle of... It's like, oh, we got this guy. Oh, no. I mean, I love this guy. I think he's a great actor, and he's my favorite in many movies. In, but. <laughs> Seth Rogen. Yeah. <laughs> you, <no>. lovable rogue. <laughs> you lovable
2: rogue. You lovable rogue. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, Do you look it up? Well, <laughs> but he's such a good actor. Oh, he's great, and he's fun. Do you want to know? And, he, and, and Nolan loves him for good reason.
1: Oh, my goodness. What? <laughs> Michael Caine. No. No no, okay. no. no, 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 <laughs> no, no. No, is, he, he is in Batman. Is he?
0: He's Commissioner Gordon. Oh, of course.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's Gary Oldman. Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, he's just wearing a fat suit. It looks like he's doing his Churchill thing again. And he's like, well,
1: I, I do declare,
0: Mr. Oh. Oppenheimer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's like, oh, Gary Oldman doing a part, doing a character. <laughs> what do you know about that? <laughs> 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 Covered in latex makeup. It's very. Uh, oh, no, uh, that's too
1: bad. I guess we spoiled it.
0: Uh, So I said, I understand why people like the ponderous stuff, but I would like a lighter touch, whatever. That's me. The thing that people will love about this movie that I just don't get, like, is the spectacle did feel a little underwhelming. Like, the
2: actual testing of the bomb. Why did... I understand Nolan isn't comfortable with CGI. Like, he's never done it. Or he's done it. Obviously, he did it. Right. Uh, What an idiot. Mm -hmm. Well, how did he get Inception? (laughs) Right. But, you know, I don't know. I just don't understand. I mean, he's just got, he is, he is a crazy
0: person. Like there are shots of him with a giant, ungainly IMAX camera over a bed that Killian Murphy is like this, like inches away from his face. And it's just like, it's ridiculous to shoot this thing in IMAX. It's basically a boardroom movie where with Mm -hmm. close-up of people's faces, it's like, do we really need to see? killian murphy's the mole on his face and such clarity and his blackheads blackheads blackheads. mm
2: -hmm. so i don't have to see this if i see it in theaters i don't have to see it in imax i mean
0: i don't know i will say imax actually helped with the bad scenes because i could cover my eyes and look at the very edge of the screen and know that i wasn't going to see anything but also know that i'd know when the scene comes back i will tell people just in advance if you're going to see this movie there are two bad scenes they're both pretty easy to anticipate There is also an individual shot that's hard to anticipate. You'll know it when you suddenly have to look away from it, I guess. But I don't feel feel bad. Like, I was soiled by the movie. I felt like we were able to navigate it
1: just fine, my wife. So, I was going to say, I remember watching Inception. Mm -hmm. And the structure of it is really what made it so much fun to watch in theaters. Now, afterwards, like a lot of Nolan movies, in my opinion, it becomes completely hollow. You're like, wait, that movie was totally dumb. There is nothing to it. There's no emotional core. There's nothing to care about. It's not actually well thought out. It's well structured. Yeah. But in terms of plotting, in terms of reasoning, in terms of motivation, it's not in well thought In terms of evoking totally anything all. about That's an actual everything. dream. It's, yeah. It really is the most sort of archetypally Nolan of all Nolan movies because it's simply a giant puzzle box with nothing at the center. But it thinks it has something at the center, and Nolan does, but he's completely wrong. He's been on record
2: about it. Like, what's at the center is it doesn't actually matter. All that matters is that he made a decision.
0: Right, which to him is profound. We're profound. supposed to be that's moved right. by that. Um, right?
2: Like, it doesn't matter if it's a dream or not to him. I know. And that's the I profound know. thing.
1: Yeah. But I don't, I don't even mind that. I just, yeah. I, I, so I, 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 I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't mind that if I cared about Leonardo DiCaprio or, or something. Or cared about,
0: or if his relationship with his dead wife felt like more of a thing and less of a. Less of like
1: a horror movie
0: construct. Like or a something. plot point. Yeah. 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 The idea well, this of. This is
2: every Nolan movie. Like, The Dark Knight. Is such a mess. Like, it's mm-hmm. such a bad movie.
0: It doesn't even make sense uh, upon reflection, but it is another masterpiece of structure just in terms of the scenes go it, in the, the right the, order. That's the, the right. The
2: scenes go in the right order and it carries you through. That's right. And if you're enamored, it, it's so easy to be carried along in that movie. Mm-hmm. And then, especially when you have Heath Ledger just eating up every scene that he's in, he's so interesting and fresh now he's not interesting. He's still interesting. He's just not fresh, right? Like, mm-hmm. but man, he chews up all the scenery. And so it's just like, you take that, those two things together and it's like, oh man, you come out of that movie thinking it was awesome. The I best remember. thing you've ever seen. I remember. And then you think about it and you're like, that kind of sucks. And then you watch it with some distance and you're like, this movie sucks. Like, and it, it goes like, it is on a horrible, and on. Horrible it, movie. It will not stop. It's a structural masterpiece. It does carry you from one scene to the next. Mm-hmm. It has great little individual scenes and an iconic performance. And it makes no. It has. It is such a bad.
0: I, I think this movie will have a similar life cycle in terms of the way people think about it. But I want to pay due deference to the structure because it is a hard thing to do. We know how hard it is, having done mm-hmm. some a little bit of this stuff well, ourselves.
2: I feel the hypocrisy of sitting here saying, the one thing he gets right is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, he sucks. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just... (laughs) How many times have you seen... Have we hit up in our own artistic endeavors in structural problems? The problem with any young artist is they just don't understand structure. Mm -hmm. They don't understand structure. And so, it doesn't matter what their chops are. Like, You can have great chops in terms of writing dialogue. You can have great chops in terms of creative scenes and descriptions and any number of things, whether it's a short story or a novel or a a podcast or a little film or whatever, if you can't, if you have no structure, it just doesn't matter. It could be the sexiest Ferrari
1: in the world. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't have an engine, then who cares if it, I mean, you can't have a house without foundations, right? but you also can't have a foundation without a house on it. Yeah. That's more like the Nolan problem, right?
0: I think the reason that we're hard on Nolan, the reason I'm hard on Nolan is perhaps as a, corrective reaction to everybody just being enamored by the surface pleasures of his film which are real and are and take talent and take guts and take vision to achieve and and therefore giving a pass to everything that's hack everything that's unimaginative everything that has no ambition that does not try a
2: a nolan film's like a tinsel town set like a set Mm -hmm. you know like if you've ever been to- Like a Universal Studios tour. To or Tucson or yeah, a Universal Studios tour or something like that, right? The, the You've got the tremendous window dressing and you've got everything you need to shoot a great scene inside something that cannot possibly stand on its own as an actual building. Right. And that's like every Nolan movie. Right. It's, it's like you've got everything you need structurally, but only that. And then you've got some really beautiful window dressing. So you've got, in terms of, you've got the skeleton and you've got the skin, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's where's a, the muscle? Where's the, the muscle? Where's, where's the, the meat blood? on the bones? Where's the where's everything mm-hmm. else that actually? Yep. And, and for me, the movies
0: live and fall based on can mm-hmm. actors provide those things in spite of it. And I think take the big example, Heath Ledger does like he brings a real something to the Joker that is undeniable that maybe isn't on the page, but it's there. And I think in certain cases, in this case, I think Robert Downey Jr. is the same way. He's playing a character that's better than the one that Christopher Nolan actually gave him to play. He's bringing layers and empathy and complexity to the character. And I would say maybe Killian Murphy is too, but... There's a lot of things that are silly. I mean, the wife character, Emily, Emily Blunt does what she can, but Nolan's bad at writing women. He always has been. And I think she always has a martini in her hand because she's playing kind of the Catherine Kath, Hepburn type. And it's he's just like, hey, let's remember she's a drunk. Let's remember she's like a society drunk lady. The stuff with Einstein is not historical, and it's just laughable, Ron Howard bad. It's like, we need someone to state the theme of the movie. Let's go see Yoda, a.k.a. Einstein. Sort of
1: like what he did with Tesla in The Prestige. Exactly like what he did with Tesla.
0: Only The Prestige was overwrought enough that I don't think I I minded Mm. Tesla as much, and having David Bowie do it was just fun. But yeah, it's like Einstein literally pops up every time we need somebody to profoundly state the theme of the movie Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's very silly. It's like, it's exactly what Jake is talking about. It's like, it's structured perfectly. Like, okay, yeah, we want Obi-Wan. We want Yoda. This is the scene. Obviously we need the scene, but it's also just, I have a nose for what actually happened. And I'll tell you one thing, Oppenheimer never had that conversation (laughs) with Einstein where they perfectly summed up both of their entire lives there. (laughs) And come to find out the movie is actually quite admirably restrained in its fictionalizing, but None of the Einstein stuff happened. It is the the movie conceit that he allows himself, and it's an obvious one, and it's a hack one, and it's a bad one. So there's lots of things and like Nathan, that.
2: Nathan, it's a movie. Give the movie its movie conceits. Come on.
0: I said I liked it. It's a good movie. I encourage people to see it. If Just uh, playing the Devil's Advocate, yeah.
2: right? Come on.
0: Um, Just trying to. Well, that's my response to the Devil's Advocate, though. Yeah. I think like it's it's good. It's it's not one that you need to see a million times. It will make you wrestle with the fact that we decided we needed to create this thing. Like it'll do the work that Jake wants it to do. It'll be big and loud and it will absorb you. You can be the most snotty sort of person like me, who's just like, well, that's not a real line of dialogue. (laughs) And it will pull you in. And you can know you're being manipulated by the obvious, you know, like the music is relentless. It never stops. It never gives you, like there's two scenes maybe. And they're very noticeable where the music stops going, dun 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 dun, dun. It's, it's, metronom- it's that metronomic Nolan, like, dun-dun-dun-dun, one, oh, two, man. three, four, five, your heart is racing. But uh, it's...
2: It, didn't he bring in Gorenson or whatever? Yeah, he bring he brought in Gorenson and had said, to, to do do his Zimmer, do a, do a Zimmer <laughs> Nolan score,
0: um, and Gordonson did that for Tenet, too.
2: It, it, oh, he did it. He did tenant I mean, oh, you realize that you'd oh, be forgiven
0: oh. for thinking it was just another Zimmer score. It's think, very well.
2: I never actually saw it, but the trailers scream Zimmer. So I,
0: it's a great score. I liked it. I mean, it's powerful, and and the music does put you on edge, and it does make the whole thing feel like it's just a bullet that's been shot out of a gun that just will not stop. It works. What I would say to the devil is, it is effective, and I resent it a little bit because it's cheap. It's cheap and effective, Mm -hmm. but man, no. It's like we say about Tom Cruise. No one's even trying to make movies anymore on this scale. I mean, there's still indie films that I like that are good made by artists, but the 150 million dollar budget movies are usually schlock these days. And it is nice to just see somebody have. $300 $300
2: million a movies are schlock these days. Right, exactly.
0: It's nice to see somebody, even with a Ron Howard level script, a good Ron Howard script, but a Ron Howard script nonetheless, just do it. Make a movie for adults about a weighty theme that tells its story well with good performances.
2: Over the last two days, I rewatched The Fablements. Then mm-hmm. I just want to say, I love Steven Spielberg. So, I don't remember what I said about that movie.
0: I think but- you said it was kind of boring is I was trying to remember boring that Like the opening all the train all the train stuff was it took a long time to get to the
2: oh I don't know well i, I split it i split it over two viewings at this go because that's just the way life is um but I watched it with my wife and she loved it and as we like to say, context does matter man to just watch it as for the second time as a, I, you know I think that you said. Or one of the, one of the two of you said it was just nice to be in the hands of an actual master for mm-hmm. half a minute, and that's basically how I came to it this time.
0: Those are the things that have stuck with me: the shot in the gym that goes from everyone's face to face to face, and so on the good. teacher. There's just like a lot of for craft. The that's... film,
2: the film craft is so good. The shot by shot of mm-hmm. it all is oh, yeah. so good. Yep, just the visual storytelling of it is so masterfully done, and. Man, it pays off his career. And Amanda was like, "I want to watch the sequel." And I said, "Well, you need to go see Poltergeist because that's the sequel. And then you need to see Jaws. And then, like, that's it. That's the. Se- those are the sequels. Like, right.
0: hmm. watch his filmography. Watch his
2: filmography. Then. Like, that's it. That's what's next.
0: Well, that actually brings up another thing that I just find weird about Nolan. I don't understand why people love his spectacle so much, because to me, it's like, if you did that with CGI, you probably could have made it cooler instead of getting a effect that, sure, it's practical, but it's therefore limited. Like, like the actual bomb test did not fill me with the awe that I wanted it to. It just and I, I can't
2: I, believe that's the thing that I just am.
0: You might disagree with me. I think most people. I mean, I hope
2: I do, but i'm already discouraged i remember
0: tenant ben and i think i had the same experience where people were like wow these tactile action scenes and then it's just like the most basic like that big desert fight at the end doesn't feel like it would distinguish itself in like a a mid-level jason statham movie or something like i don't
1: i mean it's you can tell the only way it distinguishes itself is it's big and expensive and that's obvious but boy is it boring boy is it you don't know what's going on at any given moment. Right. And it's just a lot of re- repetition. It's repetitive. Nolan doesn't like colors. He likes everything to be gray.
2: Well, that's it. That's, I think, watching Fable. I'm sorry to just keep bouncing back to this, but watching oh, Fableman's last night was like, after everything that we've been, the other part of the context is everything yep. else that you've watched. And it's like Spielberg is, he likes color. Well, that's one reason and you he the likes gun is so much fun. Every yes. single shot Agreed. is. Beautiful, the it's framed in beautifully. Like it's telling this story so completely. The music is awesome. Everything works together. Like it's just a crafted film by a a filmmaker. And yeah, you're right. Guardians is that way. But the nice thing about, I mean, Guardians is that I don't want to take that away. I don't want to take it away from Gun because it's so much CGI and whatever else but I feel like I want to just because of the lived in tactile real life feeling of, you know, movie, like mm-hmm. you're out in the desert and you feel in the heat and the sweat and you're out on the bikes with the kids or you're in the gym or you're out on the beach or you're sure at the movie theater bundled up as it opens up, you know, right. outside in the, co- or you're, it's just me. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I remember watching the trailer to West side story and somebody's putting a bullet into a gun. And it's just something about the sound design, something about the shot composition, it's like you feel the weight of gun and bullet in a way that I have never felt before or since in a movie. And it was for his dumb West Side story adaptation.
2: Yeah. But he just and he knows when to do that. Like we're just gonna sit and live with the sound de- the sound design of David Lynch lighting a cigar mm-hmm. for an incredibly long period of time that gets across the level of discomfort that Sammy Fableman would feel in that mm-hmm. situation. But it's
0: also just like, you smell that office. You, That's right. You mm-hmm. smell it. You understand. Yeah. yeah, and then you compare it. So let me bring it back to our friend Nolan. It's like...
1: And his austerity.
0: He's austere, but I can do austere when it's David Fincher or when it's you know some of the guys that influenced him, when it's Ridley Scott in his prime, when it's Stanley Kubrick, of course. But mm-hmm. Nolan's like... It's a lot of handheld. Let's turn up the contrast. Kind of feels like run and gun. We just got some shots and cut them together. Like there's nothing that screams brilliant auteur filmmaker. For a guy who is a name brand brilliant auteur
2: filmmaker, like... You put his name on a project, you know it's going to surpass its budget. And you know that any A-lister he wants is going to be excited about it.
0: Which is great. Again, I don't want to make people feel bad for liking this movie. I hope I've accurately not done that in this podcast because i didn't just want it to be nathan the snob versus the slobs that like nolan it's a good movie but i do just always feel like i want to push back a little bit on the film bros that just think nolan is the greatest thing ever because i'm just like this does not look that good it does not feel that good the special effects don't feel that good yeah, the- Nolan,
1: why don't you take a lesson from denny villeneuve yeah
0: <sighs> well, denny villeneuve is interesting
1: <laughs> <laughs> That was a joke. but I mean, Denny Villeneuve is they share a better. some austerity. Well, he is a better visualist. He's right. better with color. He's better with a lot of things. He's bad
0: in that he gives into cliches and he doesn't know how to handle characters in a way that I like. But yep. But I do prefer his filmmaking quite a bit to, oh, yeah. to the sort of yeah, I, generic Christopher Nolan sort of thing. I mean, it, it, he's obviously influenced by Michael Mann. I can, but any filmmaker I can, I can name that he gets his stuff from does it. Better. Like he's sure. Definitely. This movie does for being a big IMAX spectacle movie, it's a lot of like somebody's got a camera on a steady cam and they stuck it in Jake's face and then he delivered his scene. I mean, there's individual moments that are supposed to pop and they do, but this does not feel like a movie that's where like what Jake's saying about the Fable Men's, where you're just like, ah, this is composed. I see the author, you know, I feel his fingerprints crafting his masterpiece. It just kind of feels like he got a bunch of footage and put it together and then laid his Nolan score over it. The star is really the screenplay in terms of its structure and these good actors doing what they've been paid to do and doing it very well. And he, it is brilliant the way that he uses actors that we know. So Casey Affleck has a little cameo as a bad general. And it's just like the second you see Cassie, Casey Affleck, who's on screen for about two minutes, you know exactly who he is, what his uh-huh. deal is. You can imagine him. You, you know why he's an antagonist. Like, Rami Malek is good that way. It's not a movie where you're ever confused about who's who. Just be, And it's because of the way they're... I don't know how many movies I've seen like this where I just get lost and there's all these generic white guys. But every person is distinctive. Most of them are stars. And yep, it's nice. Like, you're not going to forget who's who. And and Matt Damon is really fun. And Robert Downey Jr.'s fun. And Gilly Murphy's a great actor. And I can imagine a lot of people will go to see this movie, they'll get done, and they'll just be overwhelmed by the spectacle and by the weight, the pretentious weight of history and what we've done. And that's fine. That's what it was designed to do. I think it does it pretty well. I felt that way. One of those refrigerator movies where you like it while you're watching it, and then you think a little bit more about it while you go into the refrigerator that night, and you're like, eh. But...
2: Can I do half a second of Free Association? Sure. Have you guys ever seen a movie called matinee John Goodman,
0: Joe Dante film. Yeah.
2: Heard of it. So I just remember watching that as a kid. So it, I don't know. It's free association, I guess, because we're talking about a movie and making movies. And we're also talking about nuclear Holocaust. Right. So it just sort of like, but man, that movie made me feel things Mm -hmm. as a kid. It just sort of lives in a visceral place inside of me. I don't, think it was a good movie probably but that was joe dante what did he do gremlins yeah he's the gremlins the
0: howling the, uh, uh, he was he was part of the amblin diner generation it it's
2: got some of that no, amblin vibe no. and feel to yeah. it i don't know oh he did the burbs right i never saw that yeah. one that's the yeah what's his face and tom hanks tom
0: hanks yeah. small soldiers inner space the gremlins films the inner space i used one, to love you know? small
1: soldiers Seen Space was fun back in the day. I loved the Gremlins movies when I was a
0: kid. We all loved a Joe Dante film. All right, interesting. Yeah, well, that's an example of a filmmaker who can really just make you feel like you're in that era. Yeah,
2: I didn't. Know, I didn't this,
0: this movie didn't give me the feeling of being in that era too much. I mean, you can imagine. Actually, it did imagine Spielberg because Spielberg is in such a dad movie, Greatest Generation phase of his career. I'm just like, I actually don't think Spielberg's film would be better because it would be longer and even more ponderous and Hmm. it wouldn't have the relentless narrative momentum that Nolan provides. And I think that that would, I I do actually really like that and I would miss it if it was like long and talky and current Spielberg-y, but Hmm. Spielberg would have better dialogue and he would really make you feel the cigarette smoke and the sort of, you know, the ambiance of that time period in a way that Nolan... Maybe just isn't interested in. Uh I mean, it's fine. It's done well enough, but it's not, you don't just feel like you're there. He does other interesting things. He does try and put you in Oppenheimer's head in that when sometimes you'll see shots of molecules or someone will talk about the world. There's the thing from the trailer where Matt Date, where, you know, zero would be nice. There's a chance we might just set the atmosphere on fire when we test this thing and blow up the world. You actually see a quick image of that happening. So you're sort of living in oppenheimer's brain and some of the best stuff is later in the movie when he's processing the weight of it and he's giving a speech to a crowd i don't think i'm spoiling anything and he suddenly sees their skin start to melt off and like we we don't actually see any nagasaki or anything like that but we do see inside his head as he
2: it seems like probably n- never showing any of that was a really smart choice
0: well, in terms of the discourse, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. people right. have been mad at Nolan for not actually representing the Japanese point of view, but if he had, they would have been mad at him for being a white guy that so he had no good option. I mean, he could have used real footage, which would have been harrowing and felt exploitative. He could have used fake footage, which would have felt like its own kind of exploitative. It really just it was a no win situation. I think he made the best choice
2: This is exclusively from Oppenheimer's perspective, which is a very limited white man's perspective who it's those people over there
0: yeah I thought the movie did a nice job of making a compelling case for why Oppenheimer did what he did it's not just a liberal screed when you factor in the idea that the Nazis may well be making one of these and when you factor in Oppenheimer's big talking point of the time which is people are never going to understand this power until it's unleashed we have to do this once so that we'll never do it again I don't think we should have dropped the bombs. I'm anti that, but it's an argument. And in point of fact, we have never done it again because we did it once. And yeah, so it's a fun movie. You can debate all the kind of, you can give your little Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park speech. And
2: that's what I told Amanda. Actually, Jurassic Park is the bomb mm -hmm. movie actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you think that you should, and you know how to handle in an adult good way, the couple of sex scenes then i would recommend the movie and i would i suppose recommend it on the big screen just because you might as well give nolan if you're gonna see it you might as well it was it was designed to be an overwhelming spectacle whether it's entirely effective is another question and that but a lot of people find it very effective and having that loud music be overwhelming and seeing the images you know what i'm saying like it's You'll have your best shot at... It's like Inception. You can quibble with whether Inception even works or is even a good movie, but the best version of Inception is certainly seeing it once on the biggest possible screen with the loudest possible sound. I do recommend seeing this movie in the theaters if you're going to see it at all. Any other thoughts about Nolan or Oppenheimer or concerns or questions or... Nope. Okay. Well, Ben, how many pipes, like the pipes that smoked by J. Robert Oppenheimer, do you give to this podcast?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Give a whole, a passel of pipes. A whole passel of pipes. Jake, same question. Half
2: a passel of pipes. Half a passel
0: of pipes. Peter Piper picked a passel of pipes. Dante's 76 years old. How about that? I'll give it. It's like a three out of four. Yeah, it's. It, it reminded me. It made me think a lot about A Beautiful Mind, the Ron Howard biopic film, which is not a good movie. No. But it's an effective crowd pleaser, and this movie was better than that. More real history, less fudging of the facts. Two
1: hundred percent less sobbing Oscar bait, Jennifer Connelly.
0: Yes, two hundred percent less sobbing Oscar bait. Jennifer Connelly, which is too bad. I would have taken her. Ah, uh, she probably would have done a better job. than I like Emily Blunt just fine. I think Nolan didn't serve her well. No, and he certainly didn't serve Florence Pugh well. Who really is hired just to come in and do a couple nude scenes? It's pretty lame. I guess to be fair, she, as I said, Oppenheimer was a serial serial adulterer, and you you gotta have that in there somewhere. But create having one character represent all of it, and then having that character be the hottest young actress around and then having her play most of her scenes without any clothes felt just a little bit cynical on our good friend chris's part probably drummed up some good publicity for his movie though i don't know all right i'll give it a whole passel of pipes is good bye we are become death destroyer of worlds See it for Robert Downey Jr., I didn't sufficiently praise him, he's great.